Hello and welcome to What A Way To Make A Living, the podcast where we talk to people working creatively about what they do for a living and why. I'm Devla O'Shea. And I'm Amelia Liuzzi. Today we're talking with Sadie Clayton, an artist who fuses art and technology. We talked to Sadie about working with copper, collaborating with one of the world's most famous robots, and how she keeps her values at the centre of her work and career. Amazing! So how's it been going? Yeah, good. Um, I've actually been enjoying lockdown, to be honest. Have you? Um, Yeah, it's just given me that space to kind of think and like slow down and, you know, just kind of work on me and have time for meditation and workouts. And, you know, I've been doing a few different projects as well. So yeah, I've really enjoyed it. At first I was like, oh my God, how am I going to get through it? But actually it's been great. I've loved it. I don't want it to end. (laughs) that's good and have you found that you've been able to carry on with some work stuff then yeah yeah exactly um a few of my projects have been kind of well one's been cancelled one's been postponed um and they're quite big uh, projects as well so that's quite annoying but I've managed to pick up other bits here and there which is good and also I've never really thought about the digital space so it's quite nice to see that I can put my work into the digital space as well so that's been good and obviously using social media which I'm so bad at but uh yeah I've been making (laughs) sure that I've been quite proactive on there so that's good oh that's good I think you're quite good on social media hey what kind of meditation do you do um well I usually go to London Buddhist Centre, but obviously it's closed. And my friend Lily, she's a holistic coach and meditation and yoga teacher. And every day at 8.15 on her Instagram Live, she does a meditation session. It's so good. Apart from since last week, she's only doing it every other day. But still, it's amazing. And she starts by like doing a breathing technique and then a five-minute meditation and then like a kind of coaching life tip. So, yeah, it's been so good. And then also Sahara Rose, who's like the millennial spiritual goddess. Um, She does some really good ones. So, yeah. Nice. That's good. I've definitely upped my meditation and stuff in lockdown. Have you guys heard of the breath guy? Oh, no, I haven't. So he's on Instagram. He's really good. I think he learned from Wim Hof. But he basically Uh does like breathing techniques. So he'll guide you through like 45 minutes of uh, breath work. Oh, brilliant. It's honestly like the best meditation I've ever done. So he's called Breath Guy. I must write that down. It's, yeah, his handle is like at the Breath Guy. And he's just an, he's just started a new um, app, so he doesn't do as many free sessions on Instagram as he used to. But he pops up occasionally, and I just really recommend. Like me and lots of my friends have done it, and like one like one of my friends has definitely cried doing it. Like I had one time where I just felt so happy, and I was just like, "What? Like where's this come from? Like meditating's never done this to me before." But I was almost like laughing out of happiness during the meditation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so important because I, you know, a lot of my work around copper, you know, it is, a, you know, kind of the spiritual side as well. Um, and I've been doing a mindfulness course to kind of, you know, align my 
kind of thoughts and emotions with my work. And a lot of it is about, you know, your breathing and how you can kind of A, bolster your immune system, but also B, get in touch with your um, kind of present, like living in the present moment and being compassionate towards yourself and finding that sense of stillness, which, you know, when, as we are all creative people, you never seem to find that. Um, so yeah, it is kind of like an empowering moment when you get that. So I'm glad that you've had that experience. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. I think that's a really good point you make about mindfulness. It's an important thing to like connect with, especially at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I definitely. didn't. I didn't know about your um, like the the copper and the base material side of your work. Could you oh, tell yeah. us a little bit about yeah, like, that? Even from um, like when I graduated, I made copper sculptures. Like that's kind of that's always been my thing. And then two years ago, I decided to remove myself from the fashion world, um, but continue to work with the copper because it had, you know, the, the response was so great. It would, you know, they're unique because nobody else makes copper sculptures and there were so many amazing attributes. So there's lots of physical um, and health and environmental attributes around it. And throughout lockdown, actually, I discovered that um, coronavirus or viruses last only 46 minutes on copper because it's actually antimicrobial whereas a lot of other metals aren't um you know so I've been, that's been kind of working in my favour through lockdown <laughs> <laughs> just that's a, so a cool. copper shield <laughs> yeah exactly exactly I, like, I think the whole world needs copper basically when we're all over this <laughs> totally I think it's such an interesting thing so I guess like for people who don't know maybe who you are and what you do, why don't you just start by, yeah, telling us like what you're all about for people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I am Sadie Clayton and um, I'm based in London, but originally from West Yorkshire. And growing up, I was very much surrounded by a very white middle class um you know, kind of environment. And being a, fem- a mixed race female, I always felt like I never quite fitted in. And my parents were split, so I'd go to my dad's and I'd go to my mum's and I wouldn't fit in either worlds. And my family was so great and they encouraged the fact that I was different. So just elaborate and just kind of extenuate it. Why try and be anybody else? You know, I had big hair and I've got fuller lips and my mum were just like, Sadie, go for it. Like, you're all, you're not fitting in there. You're not fitting in there. Just be your own person. And that's really what kind of sparked the creative side to me. Um, so I moved to London. I did fashion design um, and that was great. And it allowed me to explore, um, you know, silhouettes and forms and textures on a body. Um, and that's when I started creating copper metal sculptures. I did that for my final collection. Um, so yeah, I, I fused art and fashion, you know, and that was in 2013. And then I launched my brand uh, very quickly because I got lots of press and that was great because it meant that I was able to step into that art and tech world because I always had a fascination around tech. I didn't quite, I still don't quite understand it, but I love that I can use it as a medium, uh, you know, to kind of communicate my ideas. So I worked with the Royal Academy and, you know, with the Tate and with holograms and augmented reality. And, I, you know, two years ago, I was like, I can't do the fashion world anymore. And I, I made that pivot from fashion to art. And actually the transition was super smooth because I'd already stepped into the art and tech world. So it was funny because the minute I changed my message, so many more doors opened. People just got it. Um, and I remember my last show at Paris Fashion Week and they were like, oh, the buyers, you know, they were like, oh, you're making 
sculptures for robots, but you're also making clothes for human bodies. And they couldn't quite understand the two. I don't, I don't think they could pigeonhole me, and that was the issue. And obviously, you know, when you're trying to run a business and it's not commercially viable, then it's pointless. So I, uh, yeah, I swapped to the other side. And thank goodness, because, you know, I went on BBC Radio 4 with Ron Arad and, you know, I got my first art commission from the Ivy, making an 11 foot copper Christmas tree and curated a show. And, you know, now I've got an art agent and I've got a TV agent and it's all just kind of coming together. But I would never regret you know, I don't regret doing the whole fashion thing because that was kind of my base layer and that's how I was able to, you know, pivot into the art side. So, yeah. Um, actually, because, okay, so what you were just talking about with, um, like, moving from the fashion world into the art world, um, I think that's, that was something we want, we've, like, written a list of questions and we had that at the bottom to talk about, but we should just talk about it now. Um, pigeonholing in creative industries, like, you said uh-huh. that, you know, you started out, trying to get into the fashion world, interested in kind of body sculpture or that kind of work um, using copper. Um, did you ever find it restrictive? Like, did you find trying to get into fashion kind of something that people wanted something specific from you that you couldn't give them? Yeah, no, no, that's a really good question. So, um, I'll put that there. It's a, yeah, it's a really good question. So, for example... You know, we all know that fashion's got trends and kind of, you know, fads and what's in and what's not. And it seemed that what what I love to make and what, what my intention was as a fashion designer was to empower women through shape and form. So, you know, my muse were Grace Jones. Um, you know, my friend Alison Goldfrapp, you know, would wear my big, bold, embroidered jackets. Um, but I realised that not every woman dresses like that. And also, when you're trying to cater to the mass market, you've got to think, what do people wear? And f- quite frankly, it's T-shirt and jeans. And I am not that... I don't, even, I don't even own a pair of jeans, you know? Like, I'm not that type of designer. And that's what I really struggled with. I was, I was unable to kind of um, manipulate my design process to suit a broad market. And that's, you know, what I struggled with greatly because... Ultimately, the buyers were never going to buy into me because I couldn't, you know, couldn't fulfill their needs, their customer needs. Uh, obviously, I did have a small pool of private clients. I did have a couple of stores, but it wasn't enough to maintain a business. And that was the struggle. Yeah. And so now how do you feel kind of you're saying that you're feeling a little like liberated yeah exactly I do yeah I feel liberated I feel like I've got the freedom I feel like I can create and you know I feel like I can now approach anybody whereas before it was the buyers I had to suit the buyers kind of checklist whereas now I can contact any gallery or any museum or anybody and tell them my story and I feel like it's a kind of a, a broader understanding because my cop- my material is copper there's lots of like i said spiritual health and environmental it means that you know i actually tick load quite a lot of boxes yeah and so then when we go back to this idea of like being a thing and you know have you ever said i'm a fashion designer or i'm an artist or do you, do you kind of believe in that or is it more of a multidisciplinary um type of profession uh-huh. career that you're creating yeah, so initially, yeah, I absolutely said I was a fashion designer. Yeah, that, that's what I would do. Now, we're creating garments or sculptures for the body. The body was my canvas. But obviously, since moving away from the body and thinking about the canvas as a broader spectrum. So, you know, my my kind of 
infamous quote was, you know, take my sculptures away from the body, hang it from the ceiling, it's a light fitting. You know, put it on the floor, it's a coffee table. Just because it happens to fit a body, that's, that means I'm a fashion designer. You know, so that's when I started saying, no, I'm not a fashion designer. I'm an artist, I'm a creator, I'm an innovator. And, you know, I do... I do an all, all a, a whole mix of things from creating a copper Christmas tree to making things with robots to leading workshops to doing talks to being on TV. Like, how could I just say that I'm just one thing? So that's why I quite like this broader term of a creator and innovator. Although it sounds quite wanky, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, it's um, yeah. I think going back to you know your question about pigeonholing, I feel like. I'm not a a multidisciplinary artist in the way that I do paintings and I do performance and then I do sculpture and then I do that. No, no, like I do know what my purpose in life is. And that's around, you know, rejuvenating a community through copper art. And, you know, I, my, what, what my aim is, what my goal is in life is to create a whole series of public art copper pieces that people can interact with, you know, and allow, you know, copper is a conductor of spirituality. It repels negativity. So what better way than for people to hang around it and feel rejuvenated and feel like their negative thoughts have been released? Um, you know, so that's kind of the space that I'm in right now. That sounds amazing. That sounds so cool. So how does your kind of like process work at the moment then since you've kind of moved more towards um, the art world? Does it involve kind of like, in terms, so do you, are you kind of set up as like your own studio kind of thing or yeah that's right yeah yeah I've got a studio in Hackney Week but when I was a fashion designer um or when I was in the fashion world I uh was obviously designing fashion but then I kind of outsourced the production so I had a shared space but now that I'm physically making my sculptures in the studio I've got my own space so that's so much nicer um, and it just means that I can curate my studio as well, like, you know, cu- like kind of curate the space. I've got copper everywhere and I'm trying to imagine I've not been there in so long, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, you know, I've got quite high ceilings and, you know, it's a nice big space and I can blend my music out. And yeah, it's nice. It's a shared space as in there are other people within my unit, but I've got, you know, my own personal door. So it's nice that I can shut the world off and just get in the zone, which is what's been hard about lockdown. How are you supposed to get in the zone in a place that's meant to be your sanctuary? You know, this is my home. This is where I relax. This is where I feel protected and safe. But in fact, I've been having to think about making my sculptures you know, in on my island in the kitchen. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's too many distractions, like the fridge, for example. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, I my God. That is such, a, <laughs> such an interesting way of kind of describing it, actually, is, like, the idea of, like, a change of space in your life. Yeah, yeah. But even headspace and physical space... And the headspace I've been loving because, you know, being such a busy, you know, not only obviously I'd look like any artist would love to do art full time. But when you're an emerging artist, unfortunately, that's not reality. So I teach as well, which luckily pays the mortgage. So not only am I teaching, I'm also trying to run my business and then I'm traveling and then I'm doing, you know, TV work and then I'm doing talks and then I'm doing workshops. So I've always, always got a million things, you know, live my life through a file of facts. I'm sure I told you that last time, uh, you know, so it's been so nice to 
be able to pull back and do things at my pace, at my speed, you know, and be able to set. I never, ever had breakfast at home on a weekday, ever. I always used to, you know, buy it when I was out like on the run at work, at Shoreditch House, whatever. But actually, the fact that I've got this routine, it's amazing. Like, it puts me in a totally different space. You know, I've been having loads of Zoom calls globally. Um, you know, I've never seen my face so much on a screen. You know, like, I've, you know, it's really, I don't know, I've really been able to focus and reflect on the things that I'd like to do. But in terms of my physical space, that's been tough. You know, like, especially with the sunshine and you just want to go and sunbathe, like, get that vitamin D. But in fact... You know, I'm having to A, teach virtually, and then B, when I'm doing my artwork, I'm, I'm having to be in the kitchen on the island. Like, there's no the, there's no separation, and that's what's been quite difficult. Um, so, yeah, I'll be, you know, I'll be glad to be able to go back to the studio on a full, on a, you know, more regular basis. Yeah, for sure. Your work with your practice. Oh, sorry, you have your recorder on, yeah, your phone recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Um, with your <laughs> just so <laughs> just hoping. I don't want to lose the gold. I don't want to lose. Yeah, it. Um, <laughs> with your practice, um, have you always worked on your own? Yeah, well, when I was um doing more of the fashion in the fashion world, and that's what I love the word collaboration. Um, you know, for me, even when I was a student, I made copper shoes with Georgina Goodman, who designed the armadillos for McQueen, because, you know, the fact that I can just contact people that have an expertise in their field, but yet we can integrate my idea, that to me is like perfection. So I love the idea of collaboration, which is why I collaborate with the robots as well, you know. So even though, yeah, I work on my own in terms of generating ideas and creating the sculptures, although if I have got a big commission, I do, you know, kind of pay fabricators to make it bigger and better and perf- you know, kind of perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I love collaborating. Like I love working with the people. I love people. And that's, again, what's so hard about lockdown. I've not been able to have that human contact. You know, like it's all right speaking through a screen, but I am such a people person. You know, I... My, I get energy from other people and other people get my energy. Like, it's so important to work with others. Um, but luckily, my business partner, like, we've been in contact every... Well, we're always in contact every day anyway. But, you know, she's been kind of picking me up on those days where I'm like, oh, my God, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, which I've had maybe, what... I've had, like, a few, shall we say, segments of those moments as opposed to days. So maybe equating to, yeah, one full day. <laughs> I think I think the only reason I asked that is um I definitely want to ask like we both want to ask more about the robots for sure that's like oh yeah we're like oh my god the robots but (laughs) um I think it must be I don't know what it would be like or I'm sure that maybe people listening who are finishing fashion school or art school and want to maybe start a label or start going out there under their own name you know and understanding that you know you work with other people and it's not something that's solo but what's that kind of like like putting yourself out there as your own brand yeah yeah well it's one of those things like one of my kind of um tips that I always give to young people and to my students is if you don't knock on that door it'll never open you know if you don't ask you don't get um and let's face it like nobody works on their own unless you're a painter I guess you know you can be in there all day painting but you know, even if you have projects or, you know, you're curating or you're coming up with a new idea, you've got to speak. You've got to have that connection. You've got to, you know, you've got to try and 
find the people that can do the bits that you can't because that's what makes the world go around if we all did the same thing then nothing would work uh you know so it's really important that you do seek out that that missing component whether it be you know if you're starting a brand whether it be somebody that can do the pattern cutting or the sewing or maybe you can do that and you want someone to do the printing or the embroidery you know and for me I can make the copper sculptures, yeah, but I can't make them 11 foot tall that's also weatherproof, that also has shitloads of lights inside, you know, so I find someone to do that for me. Um, you know, even like in a, from a tech space, I wanted to create a whole collection in a holographic form. Yeah, amazing, but how I can't do that, you know, so you've got to do your research and reach out. And the worst that anybody can tell you is no. And then you're like, oh, okay, on to the next one. You know, I think so many people are scared. It's that big word, isn't it? Like rejection. But actually, I kind of like getting rejected from time to time. It makes me it makes me stronger. It makes me fight more. And I'm like, right, okay, you said no, but I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it anyway with somebody else. <laughs> love that. Absolutely love that. So you mentioned working with robots. And as we said, we are so excited to just like ask more about this. <laughs> So how did it start? Because um, I feel like this has been something that's kind of been going on for you for actually quite a while. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years now. Yeah. So I initially saw Sophia the Robot on the front cover of ES magazine. And she was wearing uh, Roxanne the Relinchik. And I was like, oh my goodness, I want to dress this robot. I was like, actually, I want to make a robot. (laughs) So I reached out to uh, the company that makes her and I was like, oh my God, I've discovered Sophia and I'm an artist and I need to... No, no, at that time I was a fashion designer, so I was still making... I think at that point I'd just made... I was just on with making my last collection before I switched over to the other side. I was like, oh, you know, um, I want to put Sophia in my clothes and I also want to talk about making a new robot. Anyway, I didn't hear anything for three months. I was like, hello, hello, like constantly emailing, emailing, emailing. And I was like, this is just ridiculous. Like I, I'm known to be that kind of, you know, um, harasser. I'm always like, hello, hello. If you don't email back, I'm like, hello, I emailed you two weeks ago. Hello, I emailed you a week ago. Um, you know, so I found the owner of the company on LinkedIn. I, I literally stalked him and I was like, um, I've emailed you like seven times. Uh, we need to collaborate. And he replied and he was like, Sadie, your collab- your idea sounds amazing. I'd love to collaborate. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So we had a call and the first project, because they're not based here, they're in um, Hong Kong. But there's this kind of world's biggest, one of the world's biggest conferences in London called COGX. And it's like the world's biggest one of the world's biggest artificial intelligence conferences. So obviously she would come over for that. So I created a copper sculpture for her. So she wore it and then interviewed me. And that was the first time that I'd met her and the first time that we worked together. And it was insane. I was like, oh my goodness, is is this a robot? Is it a human? Because obviously she's so human-like that you kind of forget that you're talking to a machine. Um, And then the second time we worked together was in Shanghai and... Sophia and I opened Shanghai Fashion Weekend in front of the local government. And that is just, it was just mental. Like I was speaking and then there'd be a translator translating it in Chinese. And then Sophia would speak in English and then her her words would be translated into Chinese. It was just mad. But I enjoy, <coughs> enjoyed every single minute. It was just, yeah, amazing. 
That is so cool. What do you, what, like, why did you do it in the first place? What, what was the thing? Well, I think I like to be, I think it comes from being a, a, a you know, my kind of uh, childhood like conditioning. I've always been different. I've always never had, not in like a big headed way, but I've never really felt I've had competition because I, you know, I didn't look like anybody else. I wasn't creating what anybody else was creating. And coming from a tiny place as well, and, you know, being like the creative one, then you go to art school and, you know, you always got the top marks and, you know, I were always kind of pushing boundaries, I guess. And that's really still ingrained in me. Like I always want to be the forefront of the next best thing. So that's why I were the first to, you know, work with copper sculptures. Um, and then even... I know now it's all about diversity and inclusivity and, you know, kind of BAME people and black models. But even at uni, I put my sculpture on, you know, this amazing black African model. And then I started working with Karen Franklin around diversity, you know, so I've all, and then even the hologram project at at the Royal Academy of Arts, like no other um, emerging designer was working in that art and tech space. And then I did the augmented reality show Saatchi, MNC Saatchi. So I think that the idea for me of being the first, and I was, I was the first artist to work with Sophia the Robot. And then a year later, you know, Alexander Wang had her on the front row of his show in New York. You know, so I get like this buzz about making the impossible possible. And I like that fight. I like that kind of, that chase. Um. So, yeah, I guess that's the reason why. Like, I was just so eager to to do something that had never been done before. And I made some 3D printed copper cuffs for Sophia to wear. And then I put her lipstick on and, you know, she interviewed me in front of loads of, like, a big audience in China. And it was just, looking back on it, it was so incredible. Um, And I guess at the time, I you know, at the time I'm like, oh, this is great. And I just feel like, oh, it's just another day in the life of Sadie Clayton. (laughs) Uh, But then when I look back on it, I guess it is a bit odd. Like who really gets interviewed by robots? Especially Sophia, who's like the world's famous robot. She's, she gets paid thousands and thousands for like a live appearance on a a daily basis. How does it actually work? The practicality of working with a robot? Is there like a whole team behind her that you? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. End of the day, like she is a machine, you know, we have to remember that. Um, and even though people love it, there are people that are like, oh, this is weird. Like, what are you doing? And I have to explain, look, this is a rope, this is a machine. And I do it to kind of, uh, challenge my purpose in life and challenge my creativity. Um, you know, and through artificial intelligence, it keeps me on my toes. Cause that's another question I get asked often. Like, why, why do you want to work with a robot? And I say, because I never know what the outcome's going to be. You know, if we look at the one that I did six months ago with Ada, who's like this new robot on the block, she's uh, the first female artist robot. And uh, I was invited by the Tate to do this whole like program around black creativity and technology. Again, you know, about inclusivity. And I thought, yeah, amazing. Let's involve Ada because I would, you know, I'd reached out and I'd said, look, discovered you and it'd be great to do a project together. And then that just came up like, you know, in the, at the same time. Um, and what happened was I provided mood boards and then Ada would draw from the mood boards. And then 
I would then create a sculpture from her drawings. But I had no idea what her drawings were going to be. And I had an audience watching, you know, so I just had to think on my feet. And I love that. You know, why should, you know, there's so much going on in the world. Why should we have to live in this moment where we know what's going to happen? I think it just spices your life up a bit if you're like, oh, this has been thrown my way. What can I do? Um, so, yeah, that's what I love about it, like AI in general. Yeah, amazing. And where do you think, like, what's the next maybe, what would you like to do next with like AI and kind of robots and technology? And then also, kind of where do you think that industry is kind of going to go? Yeah, well, personally, I would love to introduce AI into one of my public artworks to kind of better a community, you know, through this kind of mindfulness and sound and healing and, you know, kind of use it as a big research piece. Uh, but that is, that would be a huge project. And God, maybe we've got a listener on here that would, you know, uh, <laughs> think, oh, that sounds great. Let's work on that. You know, that would be a dream. But, um, you know, I, I just think that space around people and connectivity and AI and copper and especially what we've all just been through. You know, it's a huge time in history. It's going to be, you know, a huge kind of mark in 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 history. And I think as an artist, I can maybe bring peace and and compassion and stillness to people's minds through art and AI. Um, and that doesn't even need to be a robot, like a humanoid. That is just, you know, the software, artificial intelligence. Um, and then your other question was, sorry, what was your the last the just, two parts? Just of that. more on like then how do you think um, kind of AI and robots are going to keep sort of becoming part of our our day to day? Oh yes, yes. Well, even like for example, the um, the robotic Hoover. You know, they are, and even Siri is like a type of robot. You know, you talk to your phone or you talk to, you know, Alexa, sorry. Yeah, Siri and Alexa. You know, so I think it is slowly been integrated into our world. Mm. What do you think about, like, um, sort of the new kind of Instagram influencers like Lil Michaela and um, things oh, like yeah. that, where they're kind of trying to emulate that sort of human kind of influencer mm -hmm, lifestyle? Mm -hmm. But they're, are they robots? What are they? No, they're, they're like, they're um, like digital avatars, yeah. aren't they? So they're not, they don't exist, but they're like hyper human-like. Um, so I know Shudu, which is the black uh, digital model. And she's modeled for like Balmain. And the reason I know her is because I had a few of my garments stolen by this fraudster. And then this company reached out, this really incredible company called Clo3D. And they digitize fashion. Um, and they said that they'd recreate the jacket in a digital form. Anyway, they started and it was amazing and they got like really big and couldn't commit the time to it. So it passed me on to a company called The Fabricant, who were equally as amazing, based in Amsterdam. So they, so then my jacket that was stolen existed, but digitally. And it was, it looked like you would never know it wouldn't, it wasn't, it wouldn't exist. Like it was absolutely perfect, like super like real life and um we thought oh i know why don't we then put it on a digital model because it's kind of blurring those lines isn't it between what's real what's not real so as much as i love it and i think it's an amazing innovative space to have these digital models and obviously it's sustainable and you don't have to worry about uh you know carbon footprint and la 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 
on the other hand, is it taking over models' jobs? You know, are we then be making the, the models kind of redundant? Uh, and actually a friend of mine who's very interested as well in like the sustainable and digital fashion world, she just finished an MA and she interviewed me um, for some kind of information. And she is a model and she's, she made her, her own avatar you know, so that she could kind of be in two places at once. But then who gets paid more, the avatar or the real person? Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, I do. That, so my opinion on them, it's, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great space and it, you know, it's obviously a quick turnaround and, yeah, and it's fun. But I have, I do have a few questions around it. Like, is it going to make real life models mm. redundant? Yeah. And I think that's what we've got to be careful of. Like, a human's going to become lazy if we've got robots to do everything for us and if we've got digital versions of ourselves, are we all just going to end up living in Sims land? But then maybe maybe that would be good, a good thing because then we're not going to continue to pollute our planet. Or, I don't know, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. It's cool. It, there's, just, there's so many cool tensions in what you do. Like there's this like physical, digital kind of aspect. Yeah. There's like communities online, in person. Like there's the, you want to yeah, create these giant sculptures where yeah. you want people to like collaborate around, you connect with. And then, but you are also trying to make that connection through these kind of, yeah, like holograms and things that people can access globally. I think that's yeah, so interesting. Absolutely. And it's, it's really cool because it seems like something like, I remember because you came and spoke for um, an event we did a couple of years ago and th like three or four, four years ago or something, and you were yeah. already in this space and it feels like now, especially with COVID-19, so many brands and so many people are like, oh, wait a minute, we actually, maybe we need to do a music festival in a video game or maybe we need to create spaces where people can connect that aren't necessarily physical mm -hmm. and it feels mm -hmm. like you're already there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is exciting. The thing is as well, I get so excited and start running with ideas that I have to remind myself to kind of pull back, <laughs> you know, uh, you know kind of one step at a time type of thing but I've got to also stay true to what my goal is and what I'm trying to achieve because if you do start bringing in millions of elements that's when it all starts getting a bit messy and no one quite knows what you do you know oh and I've just thought as well back to an earlier question which I probably didn't answer because I do talk a lot as you know um you know this whole thing around being pigeonholed and being a fashion designer and being an artist you know, now I've got this TV agent. So many people are like, oh, yeah, let's get on this fashion show. Da, da, da. Like, let's do this fashion TV show. And I'm like, look, just because I like to dress up and wear what I wear and look fashionable, um, it doesn't mean that I'm an advocate for the fashion industry. Like, I will talk about sustainability till the cows come home. You know, I only wear vintage. Like, I'm, I love the digital space. But I want to make sure that I'm known for what... I want to be known for, which is a, the copper and the community, you know, and helping people. You know, that is my purpose in life. I want to help people, you know, become, become happy, become relaxed, become mindful, become rejuvenated, become, I don't know, find their sense of purpose. And I couldn't do that through fashion. I couldn't do that through people just wearing a nice, cool dress. But I feel through my art, I can. I love that. Do you think that, have you always been, um, have you always been quite clear on your like values? Has that always been quite like a clear kind of North star to help you make these kinds of career decisions? Or have you ever kind of had times where actually 
you're kind of getting pulled in different directions and it's hard to make these choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been clear, even when I, well, you know, worked in the fashion space, I was very much creating, you know, sculptures for the body. That was my type of woman. You know, I, I was very aware that it, I wasn't going to be a mainstream designer. I was very aware that it was more kind of in the avant-garde space. But even, and and I loved that I kind of stuck to my guns, but it just made it harder for myself. But I wasn't prepared to sell out. I didn't want to create graphic t-shirts or pretty dresses. Um, and now in the art space, I'm able to bang on about it even more because I'm able to, you know, connect with like-minded people. I'm able to create sculptures to showcase what I'm meaning. Um, I'm able to do, you know, I do lots of podcasts and, you know, talks and workshops so that I can transmit my message. Um, last year, I ran a workshop at the uh, London Craft Week at Hayes Hotel and it was amazing because I had a mixture of people from solicitors to jewellery designers to students to nurses to mechanics, men, men, like men women, anybody. And um, the outcomes were incredible because people just really understood the message. They thought that, well, they, they, they thought the fact that they were taking home a piece of copper sculpture that they'd made in only an hour and a half. Or it might have been two hours, actually. Yeah, two hours. Um, and they could put it on the mantelpiece or in their bedroom and just know that A, they've made it and B, it's a source there to zap the negative energy out of them, you know. And it was just so great to know that I've made these people's day. Um, so, yeah, if I, you know, and I always talk about the fact that I love colour, like I always wear colour. And that's because I like to make people smile. And it's the same thing with my work. Like I like to make people have a reaction, you know, I like to make people think and make people express their emotion, whether it be through myself and my personality and my appearance or through my artworks. That's brilliant. It's so great talking to you. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. I love it. I love hearing. It's so good. Why don't I see Something's in the way. Well, it makes no sense. that's amazing do you think like what would you say to somebody who might be yeah just finding it a bit difficult at the moment to find that kind of like north star that they need to kind of take them forwards like career-wise yeah yeah well that's the thing like I am not really a social media kind of girl and obviously trying to be present on that during these strange times has been quite difficult and even I've become super overwhelmed. Um, so one of my tips would be like, so uh, Instagram's great, but do limit yourself, do ration your hours because you can get yourself into a hole and then before you know it, you're like, well, I don't have that many followers. Well, I've not done what she's done. Well, why is she talking to her? And before you know it, you're spiralling out of control. You know, so just pull back and just remember who you are. And also it's really important to write down your affirmations just on a weekly basis. You know, who you are, what you're good at and what you're grateful for. Yeah, and just remind yourself. And then that will... You know, the stronger you become in your core values and core sense of who you are, the stronger your output will be, both personality and your practice. Love that. So, yeah. I think I needed reminding of that. So <laughs> me too. I don't know. I was like, V 
this is such a good way to start. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I'm like pumped, ready to go. Oh, it's been so good to see you girls. Thanks so much for asking me to come on this podcast. Thank you for listening to What A Way To Make A Living. We love chatting to Sadie and felt like the conversation was a much welcome distraction from the current times we're in. As always, we'll put links in the show notes to where you can learn more about Sadie and follow her work. We want to hear from you. Who would you like to hear from? What would you like us to ask people about? Follow us on Instagram at waterwaypodcast or send us an email, waterwaytomakeapodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Fanes. See you next time. Bye. Then eventually.